She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie, showing you how to embrace vulnerability and unearth your power within. Good morning, everyone. Welcome back to an episode of She Loves Herself, the podcast. It's Friday and we are in September already. I cannot believe, I say this every year. I don't know if anyone else does this. I'm sure you do, that you're like, where's the time gone? Can't believe it's this month and that month. Well, actually, I cannot believe it's September already. Um, I've had a really good week so far. I'm actually in... Manchester right now. Um, I was down on Thursday and I'm down today and I'm home on Saturday having lots of fun. Um, Yeah, so it's been a really great week. And um, my guest this week is not only an incredible psychologist and author, but an amazing friend, Sarah Gregg. So Sarah was one of my guests on season one of the She Loves Herself, the podcast, and she spoke a lot about her story around vulnerability and her truth. And then Sarah and I have been friends for a few years now, and we speak every week on the phone. She's just amazing. We're, we, we're always chatting and we're always sort of bouncing ideas off each other and um, co-creating amazing things and supporting one another and I invited Sarah on again to chat because a few reasons really number one her book Choose Happy was released on Tuesday the 31st of August so it is out now and we were actually having one of our chats as we do and we were talking about why we believe so many people really struggle to choose happy. You know, people be like, well, just be happy. You're like, what? Just be happy. I want to be happy. Well, actual fact, a lot of people really struggle with choosing to be happy. And when they are happy, what then? And that's when self-sabotage and, and various different things start to come in. And we start to not feel happy. We start to do things that don't allow us to choose happy. Uh, her book is epic. It's absolutely amazing. So in this episode, we actually talk about the psychology of choosing happy and also why so many of us struggle to not only choose happy, but when we get happy, to stay in the joy and to stay happy without self-sabotaging. This is an amazing episode, guys, and uh, I loved doing it, not only because she's amazing at what she does, Sarah, but she's also an amazing friend and it just felt like a really beautiful conversation. And I'm sure when you listen to this, you feel like you're part of this conversation as well. So I hope that you guys get something from it. I'm sure you will. I've dropped the link to get Sarah's book in the show notes as well. So get yourself involved there and uh, choose happy. And on that note, have an amazing weekend, everyone. And let's dive right in. She Loves Herself with Jill Ritchie. Hi everyone and uh, welcome back to another episode and today I'm really excited because I've got my gorgeous friend and a little regular on the She Loves Herself podcast, Sarah Gregg. I am so happy to be here. (laughs) I love talking to you. This is, yeah. I've got her back. So Sarah was on season one my very first season of She Loves Herself, the podcast, and her episode was epic. And Sarah and I catch up a lot 
we have a lot of conversations and we thought, you know what, we're going to record another episode. We thought this would be really great for the podcast. And we feel that this discussion that we're going to have in this episode is going to add a lot of value and it's going to get you really thinking about what this means for you. And we're going to talk about happiness, aren't we, Sarah? We are. Happiness. A small word with such a big meaning. <laughs> I know. And it's the thing that everyone wants. Yeah. Happiness. Right. What do you want? You're like, I just want to be happy. Mm-hmm. I know. And every, almost every action, every decision that we make, even every purchase that we make, we do it if we kind of like peel the layers back as to like why am I buying that thing why am I um going for the job promotion you know why am I setting that goal ultimately at the core of it is because we believe that it makes us happy but yet many of us can't really describe what happiness actually means to us even though it is the thing that drives our every single day-to-day action and motivation how many of us actually stop to think well, what is my interpretation of happiness? What does that word actually mean to me? And do I understand what makes me happy? Because it is a subjective feeling and a subjective experience. Yeah, I know when I was younger, I'm talking about like probably early 20s when I started sort of growing up a little bit. (laughs) And I thought that happiness for me was having lots of money, Mm -hmm. a beautiful big home a nice car luxury holidays lovely clothes and there was there was definitely a thing there around like loads of money like that made you happy and I I think that when I used to look at people that were maybe famous at the time they always looked happy because they looked physically good, they had loads of money and nice big home and they were living Mm -hmm. this extravagant lifestyle. So I'm like, okay, that must be what happiness is because when I looked at people that didn't have that, I don't ever remember them being happy and I always remember being younger thinking like if that you need to strive to get these things because then you'll be happy because, you know, if you're poor or you don't have money, that's like... Yeah, there was such an extreme, like Mm -hmm. one end of the scale to the other. Like, yeah, that didn't have that, maybe weren't happy and struggled. The words like struggle Mm -hmm. and pain and lack, you know, Mm -hmm. that that was not happy. So I wanted to be happy. So I would think, right, having that would make me happy. Yeah. I was the same. You know, I grew up in a family that didn't have a lot of money you know we we lived kind of in social housing for the first part of our lives you know then my mum qualified as a teacher and you know we had a a a maybe more higher kind of standard of living but certainly money was always a source of struggle and debate within our house and so when I thought of happiness I thought if I if I could remove the pain of money 
that I'd seen kind of like my family, you know, struggle with, you know, my mom kind of counting out, you know, her coins to make sure she could buy me or my school shoes, you know, or worrying about when I wanted to go to university, you know, how she was going to be able to pay the fees and, you know, filling in grant applications and things like that. And I saw the pain that that caused her to a certain, to, to a large extent and how it impacted us as a family. So I would think, if I could, if I could avoid that, then that would be, that would bring some form of happiness. Um, and I don't think it was something that I overly thought about a lot, if I'm completely honest, other than the money bit. I think I thought, such a good question, like when I think back, I think I thought as long, regrets has always been a really common theme for me. So as well as the money. And I think, again, this was like based on things that I experienced, you know, growing up and conversations that I was privy to, you know, I was always surrounded by a lot of adult conversations. And I think as a child, maybe was a bit of a serious child. I have this journal from when I was like, I think I was nine or 10 and I've written in it. um, I still have it. And I've written it that I want to live life fully without regrets. And I think that was always kind of my definition of happiness, which hasn't actually really changed that Mm. much, was that I saw a lot of older peers in my life who had a lot of regrets about decisions that they'd made and felt trapped in that regret and couldn't move forward. So there's always been a part of me that's really kind of wrestled with how do I make sure that I live a life without regret and definitely the money aspect you know I mean money can buy us happiness we know that from the research and psychology just not as much as we think you know we each have a baseline version of happiness um so we get that that high you know you buy that handbag you get that car you have something fancy and it's like it's like a sugar rush you know like you get kind of that immediate feel-good factor but it doesn't nourish you um but we're bombarded by messages every day that tell us that it will, you know, like even on social media now is rife for it. Like you, you log in and there's beautiful people living their best lives on, you know, boats and yachts and in their nice houses and, you know, living hashtag their best lives. And when you're bombarded with that, it's no wonder that so many of us just assume, well, if I have that, then I will be happy. But that's what puts us on the perpetual race towards it. God, yeah, totally. And I I definitely see a shift. We actually a couple of things that you said there around regrets. That's definitely something that I have really started to hone in on. This this fear of having regrets, Mm -hmm. especially this year, I would say. Probably I've always been a bit like that, but I'm more vocal and more actually... Um, accepting that part of me that has a fear of regret um, I see how life passes quickly I see how it can be taken quickly yeah and, um, I see how actually life is a gift and it's not guaranteed and this fear of regret is probably the biggest thing that's in my space right now mm-hmm. um, again you know happiness was another thing was around making other people happy you know, yeah. you've got to make other people unhappy from you being happy. Happiness involves 
um, making sure that everyone around you is happy. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be too happy because then if people aren't happy around you, then you're not really allowed to celebrate that. And actually, as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, what about happiness, Sarah? And it'd be great to hear your perspective on this. Why people actually, when they get the stuff, they struggle with being happy because there's this almost sense of I'm not worthy of having this. This feels uncomfortable. Yeah. Because people are going to have it. Yeah. And it's a funny kind of relationship that we have within society, isn't it? Where it's like we cheer on the underdog and we want someone to do well and we want someone to be happy. But then when they just do it a little bit too well, then it makes it makes us feel uncomfortable, you know, and we, we feel unsettled. So it's really funny that we we say and all of our actions are driven, like you said, around people pleasing and trying to make other people happy. But when someone is happy, we kind of struggle to be in that space. When someone is like very authentically happy, we almost, I hear conversations, I hear myself do it, if I'm being like totally honest, thinking, oh, that person looks really happy, but I bet she has to work really hard and I bet you it's not that great and I bet you she's really tired in the background. You know, I'm trying to find a reason as to why that person isn't fully happy, like that little voice in my head. And we tear other people down and we see it in the media all the time. So I think it's a really interesting, almost like, dynamic of tensions that we have you know we want happiness we want other to be happy other people to be happy we want ourselves to be happy but when other people get there and we get there we almost like struggle in the discomfort of it you know we don't feel worthy we don't feel good enough and there's always that little voice in your head that's saying this is going to end this is too good to be true maybe I'm not deserve of, of this and is this enough and to answer your question on, you know, why we do that, um, my background is in psychology and I love that psychology, you know, analyzes the group mind, the collective, and it can draw out, you know, different kind of key bits of research that give us an insight into what into why we do that. And one thing is, is that often we don't really understand what happiness means to us. So we live and navigate our lives by what we perceive to be the blueprint what we should do but we don't actually think about is it something that I want and is this thing actually going to make me happy and how will I know when I get there it's not like a well-formed thought or feeling and so when we get there We've done it for the external. We call that an extrinsic motivation when we're externally motivated. And all we're really doing is controlling the outer environment to try and satisfy an internal need, which is really as useful as strapping food to the outside of your body, thinking that it's going to satisfy an inner hunger. Mm. If you're not worthy and you don't feel worthy on the inside, no matter what home you build and put yourself in, no matter how many shiny stars you stick to the surface, no matter how many cars sit in your driveway, the level of your bank balance, where that's at, that will never be enough if you do not point that arrow of consciousness inward and look at what does happiness mean to me when I set these goals, 
what actually is my motivation? And that involves really confronting yourself and really being uncomfortably honest with yourself. Am I doing it for the praise? Am I doing it for the status? Am I doing it for the love, for the sense of belonging? And if I am doing that, is that the right motivation? Or is there a different way that I can make myself feel enough so that I can actually enjoy the journey and get it out of my head that happiness and self-worth is some form of static destination that I'll just arrive to? Oh, so true. My goodness. I, I feel like um, there's so much in there, Sarah, around um, that food outside the body to feed in in our hunger. And I, I know you have clients and I have clients as well. And there is this real sense of, you know, there's a lot of you know, successful people that will come and work with us. And mm-hmm. they're like, I actually feel like there's, you know, this unworthiness and a lot of the time do you do you feel society has a part to play on or how we've actually um been brought up and um inherent beliefs around having too much and being above your station like you say like we cheer the yeah. underdog but when they look then they, they start having success it's like oh get back down a peg or two or yeah. above your station who do you think you are uh, and it's um it's really sad actually because um it's really it really is an inside out job and I think it, it is. takes personal responsibility for their own inner work and worthiness and self-worth then we wouldn't be focusing on other people and how successful they look or are and uh, yeah there's so much um, criticism around you know yeah happy people there yeah there are so many layers to happiness like that's why at the start of the podcast I was like happiness it's such a small simple word that we use in our everyday language but it is tangled up in all these emotions and beliefs you know it's sold to us on a daily basis like you know after listening to this podcast you know just pay attention to how advertisers weave in happiness you know like watch how they will show the image of the perfect family you know on holiday getting away from it all laughing you know notice how they associate it with even things that we know are bad for us like irrational kind of things like you know alcohol fast food you know stuff that actually we know that doesn't nourish us and what's really interesting is you know they they use the psychology of our basic motivational needs to tap into that because I think at the core if we were to really look and say what generally do most people struggle with in life you know problems manifest in different ways whether it's relationships you know uh, job mood um, anger but I think if you were to strip it all back to a common core it's worth, it's our unworthiness that really drives almost every destructive behavior that we engage in. Mm-hmm. Even the self-sabotage of when we create and we feel happy, that we don't feel comfortable enough to be in that happiness, that we look for a problem or we, we create a problem. Yeah. yeah. 
I see it all the time, like waiting and clients will say, you know, I'm just waiting for something to go wrong. Yeah. And mm. the, the ironic thing is, is of course something's going to go wrong. <laughs> like, look at the world that we live in. You know, life is chaotic. Everyone comes into this world and everyone leaves this world. So at the bare minimum, what you're going to have to face is someone or yourself being sick and dying. That's we're all going to have to face that. And I know that you're going through with your mom at the minute that, you know, I know lots of other people in my, in my kind of life that are facing that as well. And we, we think that we are protecting ourselves from life. Yeah. And we think that we can control it. We think we can build these safety fences and these boxes and these fortresses of defenses that if we do that and if we act that way and if we please that person and if we get that job and if we have that thing, then nothing in life can harm us. When in reality, life involves suffering. It is light and it is darkness and your happiness will come and go regardless of whether you choose to enjoy it in the moment or you don't. It's going to leave at some point. It's it's the clouds kind of passing in the sky. It's the changing of the seasons. It's the weather. It is. Behind the storm, like the sun is always behind it. Sounds cheesy, but it's so true. When the clouds part after the storm, the sun starts to come through it. And it's it's absolutely like that. You know, we have waves of different emotions and like traumatic experiences in our lives. And it's unfortunate that some have more than others. Mm -hmm. And and thinking about happiness. And, you know, you were talking about something earlier there, Sarah, when you were saying, I forget this and I do this and I behave this way and I please this person. And also what came up is around people who put guards up and walls up to protect themselves from being vulnerable, from being hurt, from experiencing pain. And actually when you're doing this, you are really inflicting pain internally on yourself. This fear of being vulnerable, which we know because of the people Mm -hmm. we want, so many um, men and women really struggle with is vulnerable you know, I was speaking to someone the other day about a, a client and I said, like, vulnerability, vulnerability means what to you? She was like, it makes me feel sick. Yeah. And I said, what? I asked her again, vulnerability means what to you? She said, weakness. And you could mm-hmm. see her body going, oh, my God, this, this fear of being a weak woman and being mm-hmm. vulnerable and, you know, like asking for help. God forbid we ask for help. Actually, we think if I protect myself, then I'll be happy because no one can hurt me. It's just mm-hmm. all on me. I'll, you know, I'll keep it all in. But actually, we're not happy. And and you may have, you know, things in your life, but if you have guards up and walls up, regardless of what's happened, and I get, you know, when we've had trauma, or we've had an experience, we put that guard up, we put that wall up because we think it's protecting us, but it's holding us back from really enjoying happiness and being in flow. Exactly. It's the cage that we put ourselves in Mm. that doesn't let really anything in. It doesn't let life in. And the cage just gets smaller and smaller 
and we decorate it in different ways because inevitably something else comes along that hurts or challenges us. And so we find a, a mechanism, you know, another thing that I can change on the external to protect the internal. And the main thing is, is like, it, this is, this is the, the evolution of the self. This is something that the self goes through. You know, we come into this world and we are a pure human being. You know, you look at a baby and you never look at that baby and go, uh, you're not really quite good enough yet. You know, <laughs> and if you just did that thing and could you just please me a bit more? Like, could you just smile a bit more today? Or what have you done, tiny little baby, to earn your worth? You know, we don't view no. a child in that way. But yet as we evolve as ourselves, we experience things in our lives to greater and lesser extents that ultimately um, affect us. We internalize other people's reactions and we're trying to make sense of the world. World. So when you come home, for example, and you have, you know, got a gold star on your homework, the natural reaction, you know, for a mother, father, parent, guardian, whoever, you know, may be in your life is to praise that child. That's brilliant. You did so great. I'm so proud of you. That's absolutely amazing. And then the next time the child comes home and, you know, there's no gold star. In fact, there's a sad face, you know, or a report card that you didn't do so great. And then kind of comes the I'm disappointed in you, you know, that's kind of not good enough. Or or maybe even just that the parent is just generally disinterested until the gold star kind of appears. And as a child, we can't make sense of that. You know, it's too complicated. It's too, we don't have the emotional maturity to say, maybe it's because, you know, mom had a bad day, you know, and she's just a bit stressed. Or it's because she loves me and she wants me to do well, but it's no reflection of my worth. Instead, what we do is we we form the ego, which is a natural, inevitable process that evolves in the self, which is really just a set of mental processes that, make us safe from the world that instead of dealing with the pain on the inside because we can't handle it we control the outside and we look to ourselves and think well when I did x when I got the gold star I was loved and I was belonged and when I didn't do that I felt rejected and I felt the pain. So I'll do more of that behavior and I'll do less of the other. And we misinterpreted that as a, as like, you know, worth is something to be earned and cultivated. Happiness is to be earned. And happiness is to be earned. Happiness and worth are really kind of intrinsically linked. They're almost like one in the same thing when we really think about it. And, and we can't really untangle the ego until we're in a position to see the ego. So, you know, nobody escapes that in life. We have to be ready to see the ego. We've got to be able to look at those processes. We've got to see how we're distorting reality. We've got to see how we're limiting ourselves and ultimately how we are we're creating those regrets in our lives. You know, the regret that we didn't stand up to someone and say, you don't get to treat me like that. You know, the regret that we didn't have the courage to find out what we were capable of because we were too worried to take that leap. The regret that we maybe we withheld our happiness in some way um, because we felt guilty that okay. if we did it too good, we might mm-hmm. make someone else feel bad. You yeah, know, that so we- So common, so common. Oh my goodness, Sarah, 
I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about what you've said, but before I do, just for the listeners, could you just explain a little bit more about ego? Because I know people will say, oh, you know, let's talk about ego. Like, actually, how do I identify my ego? So what would you mm. say? So the ego is really the voice inside your head, that voice that you think is you that you, we can all overly identify with, that continually narrates our outer reality. And really the ego is not a thing. It's a sense, it's a, it's a series of mental processes that we have developed, you know, at age-specific points, you know, whether it's childhood and at age-specific crises, so whether that's like your first heartache. And all the ego does is it organizes the world, to help protect you. So it will really be the fortress, you know, that builds around your clients, you know, insecurity or, or, you know, cause at the core, if you get kind of behind that, that client, you know, often kind of people who are, because I'm a bit like this, you know, I can be quite feisty in a conversation and, and it can be interpreted as, oh, you're strong and you don't take any crap. But actually yeah, I if I peel that back, there's an element of me that is that and there's another element of me that is actually so petrified of being hurt and so petrified of someone saying that underneath it all I have insecurities Mm -hmm. I'm not really sure you know am I doing it right like am I worthy of the things that I've achieved and when someone gets close to that pain I'm coming for them because I don't want you near that I don't want you touching it I don't want you putting your finger or prodding that in any way. And the easiest way for me to do that is to push you and kind of do something. Now, that's not me. That's not really me at my core. It's not my true self. It's the ego. The ego is always trying to control the external to protect the internal. And the only way to kind of shed the different layers is to really look at your ego and ask yourself the question, is this true? Is the story that I'm telling true? And if I look at what need is the ego trying to satisfy, if I trace that back, you know, is it the need to be worthy, to be loved, to have that sense of belonging, to feel safe and secure? What is a different way that I can satisfy that need on the internal? How can I make myself feel strong on the internal so that no matter what happens, on the external, I'm open to it. I'm free. I'm not in my little cage. I'm not closed off from life, you know, just running around the parameter that I have decided that I will set myself in. How can I just let those walls fall down and actually enjoy life? The one life that you get, as far as we know, (laughs) the one life that you get on a planet spinning in space, held down by gravity with one in 400 billion chance of being born and being alive with no idea when it will all end or what will change in your life. How do I get out of that cage and how do I become free to explore and feel the happiness that is available to me? Mm, I love that. Amazing explanation about ego. Gosh, and I because I, I think that even as you were speaking there, I, I, I've seen it in myself. I, I could recognise people that have the defences up, that are so scared and will attack more. Um, they will attack someone verbally, but it comes from a place of fear. 
Yeah. And actually, when you take it back, it's that human experience with the ego versus the soul. Yes. The soul comes into the body, right? And actually, there's two parts to you. There's the soul version, which is, which is truth and pure consciousness. And then mm-hmm. there's this human version of you that's had all these life experiences, which the, the ego's formed. And, you know, there's the barriers, the walls and all of that stuff. But actually, to the core you are it's just it's pure love really yeah your love underneath everything underneath every emotion if we go into the emotion and this is an exercise I do with clients where I get them to feel the emotion okay what's the emotion that's coming up and there's it's resistance okay what's inside Mm -hmm. resistance it's fear what's inside fear anger what's inside anger and we go through it all and underneath it is love yeah every time Every time, every time. And I think it's really great to have for anyone listening to really start to recognize that part in you. Because Mm -hmm. first of all, you have to have the self-awareness, right? Yeah. Then we can start to create the act, take the action that creates the change that ultimately Mm -hmm. allows you to feel happiness as much as you can without guilt. Yeah. Without self-sabotage. But until we unpick these layers, Sarah, and recognize what is ego, where is my pain? What is the trauma? What is the story? And what's underneath all of it? And feel the emotions and work them through our body and start to take new action and create new neural pathways. Now, you're, you're the psychologist here, right? I'm talking a wee bit of your language. I love it. Creating the new neural pathways that start to create the change, right? Yeah. That's it. Because what can, what is learned can be unlearned. We know that when we come into the world, we, we don't have that ego. We're just a baby that cries and we don't feel guilty about crying. You know, we keep our mom up all night or the parent, and then we don't wake up and go, Oh, I feel terrible. Do you know what? Like kept her up all night, you know, because I had a sore belly and I feel awful. We don't narrate our experience at that age, you know, our brain. But, but as we get older, we do, and we overly identify with the voice and we're always scanning the external world. Am I safe? You know, is this okay? Does that person like me? Am I safe to share my opinion or will I bend my and twist myself into something that that other person needs me to be? And it gives us a short term hit. Like if, if this stuff didn't work, we wouldn't do it. Right. In the short term, you feel the benefits of it. You know, you people please someone and they give you that lovely little hit of gratification. Oh, Jill, you're so lovely. Oh, you're great. Thanks so much for doing that, even though it was a thing that you really didn't want to do. And you actually don't really like that person, but you've just kind of like gone through it. But you get that, I'm a good person. Yeah, I did that. You know, that was really validation. So the ego is always trying to get that external hit. It's like, it's like a sugar rush. It's like the worst type of diet for us, but it doesn't have any nutritional value in the long term, you know, because for every action, every tiny little decision that we make to to do that, we disconnect from ourselves, you know, to the point that we can't really remember, is that me or is that not me? What do I like? What do I not like? Because the ego takes over and you're in your cage which ultimately is what leads to regrets. You know, when we think about, and I know most people are probably familiar, you know, it's really famous, like Bonnie Ware's study, you know, Five Regrets of the Dying, and the nurse who studied um, 
people who were at end of life care, you know, and she recorded what were the the five most common regrets of people who who died. And ultimately it, it boiled down to, you know, I, I wish I had to be more of myself. You know, I wish mm-hmm. that I had have said what I felt. I wish I had the bravery to go ahead and, you know, follow those goals because the thing that keeps you safe is the thing that ends up suffocating you. I've got goosebumps. Anybody else got goosebumps? (laughs) I've just heard you saying that. My hair's standing on end. Oh, and this is a nerve for me right now because we, Sarah and I chat all the time, but she knows that this is a thing for me right now. I'm experiencing quite a lot of stuff with with my mum, but I, I have this real fear of regret and not speaking my truth. And I, I definitely think that when I say to people as well about, you know, speaking your truth, what's your truth? So many people say, I don't know. Yeah. That's what you said. It's like, I don't know. Like, what do you really want? I don't know. Because yeah. we've spent so long pleasing other people and not really speaking our truth that actually we need to go back and really, really unpick and, 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 Going and this is where we I really love going into the body because the mind will mm. tell us lies. The mind yeah. is a load of nonsense. But actually, when we can really try and tune into the energy of our body and connect with that, um, especially even in the heart as well. The heart mm. often, you know, once we're in the heart, you know, sometimes the, the mind will take us back up to the mind and we have to sort of yeah. that's where breathing's really, really good to come into the heart and tune into the heart and that won't lie. The heart never lies. The mind will lie, mm. but but the heart won't. And the more we can practice connecting with our body, connecting with even having those little conversations where you speak your truth, where you create more boundaries. Yeah. It doesn't mean you need to go out and start telling everyone to piss off. And, you know, this is what I think of you. I've not told you this for 30 years, but you're an absolute asshole. Like we don't need to start abusing people. But actually just start small, like maybe saying like no to things that we want to say no to. Yeah. And yeah, you don't need to give a reason. You know, it's maybe just saying things like, no, I don't want to do that. Yeah, exactly. And and do you know what? That's how when I kind of first (laughs) had this really somber realization that I was completely lost in my ego, like it, it had just it had put me in a little cage and like thrown away the key and I had no idea how to get out of it. Like I can remember, um, I think I've told this story maybe on the first podcast, but I remember um, being in this seminar and, and the, the presenter saying, write down three things that make you happy just for you, for no other reason than you just want to do it. And I watched this like auditorium of people in Birmingham, you know, fill like their notepads in. And I sat and I thought, I have no idea. Like I'm in my thirties. I'm smart. You know, I've got a good job. Like I like to think that I'm, I'm in, I'm a bloody qualified in psychology, you know, coaching. Like I've spent my whole life, um, trying to kind of like live without regret and I don't know what I want. And it was like this complete aha moment when I realized I didn't really I was living without regret by other people's standards. You know, I kind of grew up in the 
Tony Robbins era of work harder, be more, you know, just like, you know, get this stuff, you know, have the car, seven finger mindset, like all of that stuff. And I thought, oh, that that means then I won't have regret. Like if I do all that stuff, like, you know, then I'll be fine. Um, and actually in the process, I completely lost yourself I'd lost myself I was just living by other people's standards I was looking at other people and going well that seems to make them happy maybe I'll give that a go you know that seems to be what is expected of me like I remember quitting my job for the first time um when I was like in my 20s to go away traveling and like it caused so so much upset in our family at the start like my mom was really in tears oh I can't believe you're going away and you know and, and it was it was hard to kind of do that. And I could see that when we make brave choices to follow our path, it, it will make other people uncomfortable. Like that's part of it, but that's their stuff. Yeah. That's yeah. their stuff. That's their little bit to work through. Like we have to, like you said at the very start, we've got to work and look after ourselves. We've got to figure out what do I like? What do I want? you know, what does happiness and success look like for me? Because if I don't understand that, it's like trying to figure out if I'm taller than someone else without knowing how, like what, what I actually measure in height. Like you've got no idea, like you don't know. So like getting back to those core basic things, what makes me happy, what brings me joy and accepting that sometimes when you make choices that bring you happiness and inner fulfillment, it may be a trigger for other people. And that's okay. You can't spend your whole life shrinking and playing small in the hope that that makes you fit in and you feel a sense of love and belonging. Because ultimately, and I know that you talked about this on your your kind of Instagram recently, when you close your eyes and you are ready to kind of depart and leave this world, will you regret that? Will you look back and think that was the right thing to do? Like if you're deeply honest with yourself, will you think I am so glad that I didn't follow my dreams because it made that person in my life feel a bit more comfortable? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Oh, you've got me thinking about happiness and I think this is a really great um episode for everyone to really tune into themselves and think about where are you um on that happiness scale and what is happiness for you like success is measured it's not about the seven figures it's not about all of that stuff because having that does not make you happy it is an inside out job and Mm -hmm. so really when you start to identify what your real truth is and your real voice is, actually everything does start to flow a little bit easier. And I know you've written your book, Find Your Flow, but you've also got another book called Choose Happy. I do, yeah. Um, and so in Choose Happy, right, What? how can that help someone? Mm. Choose Happy. So, yeah, <laughs> First of all, choose happy. It may kind of like sound a bit, you know, like it's so easy. All you have to do is like make that choice. Um, <laughs> but choose happy is really less about any kind of toxic positivity stuff and more about 
the embracing of the negative emotions, like you said, understanding that behind each of them is love, is care for yourself, that there is nothing to be frightened of within ourselves. You know, often when people kind of do this work or, you know, they're thinking about maybe I should get a coach, maybe I should join that program. I think if we're all honest with ourselves, there's a bit of us that goes, but what what will I find underneath myself? Like what monster potentially lives inside of me? Um, And so we shun the negative emotions and we exile them. But in the process, then we exile a part of us, you know, like we dislike a part of of what makes us us. So choose happy is really about looking at how tiny changes in our choices can create happier results. And it does it from the perspective of um, looking at the small things that kind of create tension or resistance in our lives, like fear and comparison and uh, anger and our ability to let go of the past. And it's a really short, beautifully designed little book that um, has just little small short sections that you don't have to read from back to front. You can literally pick it up, flick to a page, you know, identify with the way that you're feeling right now and really understand the psychology of what actually makes us happy and how when we feel that way that we can, when we're ready to, make a different choice, make a more empowering choice, you know, self-author and direct our lives in the best way that we can. And of course, like you've touched on before, which is really important, you know, we all make those choices within constraints and some choices will be easier for other people. Um, But the book's really just filled with lots of little practical strategies and exercises so that you can self-heal and kind of like coach yourself um, through the process. I absolutely love that. And the book's out now? It's out on the 31st of August. Amazing. So it's out. Um, By the time this goes out, though, it's going to be out, which is very Um, exciting. So I think this is really great because I know that there's so many people that have maybe even, you know, been on a coaching program. Some never have. Some have real fear of going on something because, as you said, it's what's going to come out and being vulnerable and and, Mm -hmm. and so many people hold fear and shame around things. But actually this book, as you say, there's lessons in there that people can work through. And it's mm-hmm. small lessons. It's not like, right, just go and like do this big, huge thing and like shock your body and like your nervous system's triggered to the max. Actually, yeah. it's little things. But over time, when you do these things, it is empowering. And when you said... um say that everyone is different you know there's some people who can just you know they don't have maybe children uh, Mm -hmm. or you know a partner they can just you know get up and go and do their thing some people that are maybe moms or dads and have children you're like well I can't do that now because I'm a mom and but actually in here it's these little lessons that allow you to start to really speak your truth yeah because I think without choice what do we have you know like some people will say can't really choose to be happy can you and I think well God isn't the world a miserable place if we believe that if we believe we have no choice 
over our emotions, over our ability to control the things that happen in our lives. And they may as well just kind of like give up and just, you know, passively be swept up from one kind of drama to the next. Choice just, it's difficult. It's uncomfortable. You know, taking responsibility for yourself is not an easy thing. It's much easier to just point your finger, you know, outside at the world and blame everybody else for everything that could have possibly gone wrong. It's really hard. Like, you know, I've, this year has honestly been a theme of responsibility for me, like taking responsibility for my stuff. And it's, oh, it is hard. And it's a choice. Like I can choose not to, and I can choose just to, you know, go through my life, you know, not facing or confronting myself. And that's fine. You know, that's totally fine. Or I can choose to go, do you know what? I get this one life. I really want it to be a happy one. I want it to be a fulfilling one. I want to make the most out of it. And if that means sitting in a little bit of discomfort to look at something that lives inside me that I created, (laughs) I created it. I created it so I can change it. If I made it, I can change it. No one put it in, in there. Like I, it is part of me and every part of me is welcome. And, and if it's just trying to keep me safe and it's doing it in the wrong way, let's give it another strategy so it feels safe. So mm-hmm. I can make myself feel safe to be my true self and absorb that happiness when it comes in the ordinary things, you know, because I really think the ordinary things are the extraordinary. Oh, like they are. This is everything that I practice as well. See, mm. the emotion. I know. Um, and it's not about saying choose happy means that you're you're not going to feel angry or upset. It's actually no. saying, you know, choose to actually live and feel into that emotion, but don't live with it. So yes. Don't live in it, you know, and that's important. All of your emotions are welcome, as Sarah said. And, it, you know, this book, I can't wait to get my hands on a copy, Sarah. I just know it's going to be epic. And what I'll do is I'll drop... Um, the links so that people can get the book and the show notes of this episode oh it's just been amazing chatting to you it's so interesting you know and I think it's really given the listeners an understanding of ego and taking responsibility and actually choices and we always have a choice we always have mm-hmm. a choice um, and that was really really um, a great takeaway as well for me so thank you so much Sarah thank you so much for having me it's a joy as always I love our chats thank you